Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey out there rock and rollers, welcome to episode number 145 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host Mac B, the Wolf, and I will be joined par usual by my partner in crime from the east coast of the United States. That's Gary Action Jackson. And longtime listeners of this show know that we love classic rock and hard rock and prog rock and heavy metal and early MTV. Stuff from the 80s from when we grew up. But part of growing up in the 80s was getting a healthy respect for the 60s as 20th and 25th anniversary things started to become common. And two young rock and roll fans who were starting to discover more about the blues and its role in building the animal that we love called rock and roll. We started to explore stuff from the past, and thanks to the CD being a great way to store and release a ton of music, box sets became popular. And in the late 80s and early 90s, some of the best box sets, CD box sets, came out. And the one that really turned me on was Eric Clapton's Crossroads, because it took everything that Clapton had done, from the Yardbirds, to John Mayall, to Cream, to Blind Faith, to Delaney and Bonnie, to his solo stuff, Derek and the Dominoes. All the way through the 80s with soundtrack stuff, B-sides, it was four discs. But the first disc, which was his Yardbird days and his John Mayall kind of early blues days, a lot of those songs were so short. There's like 25, 30 songs on a disc. And that really introduced me to the Yardbirds in hearing this blues that's basically the basis of Clapton's career. Well, then I come to find out, well, the Yardbirds are a pretty darn good band. And then well, when Clapton left, who they get? Oh, well, they got Jeff Beck. Oh, Really? Goodness gracious, that must have been a, an amazing band. Well, it didn't last long because then they got Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page in the band, you got to be kidding me. So there was always this, oh, I don't know, air about the Yardbirds, right? There, there were this band that had been gone at that point a very long time. We're in the late 80s. they have been gone for 20 years, but still had this mysterious yet regal legacy because they had all these amazing guitar players who went on to do extraordinary things. Well, the things they did in the Yardbirds were really great. And for the five or six years they were together, they worked hard. They reached a lot of singles they did a lot of touring and they evolved from a blues band to more of a psychedelic and pop band because they had all this great talent it was always keith ralph on the vocals it was always chris drea at first on guitar then he switched to bass after paul samuel smith left as bass player kind of got into the production management side but the drummer was always jim mccarty and jim mccarty is joining us today to talk about his new single breath of the wind but of course we're going to talk about his whole career and we're going to get into some yardbird stories and we are so excited about that he is a member of the rock and roll hall of fame our second 
member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to appear here on The Ugly American Werewolf in London after the great Steve Hackett. And I don't know if the two teenage Brock fans, me and Jackson, if you told us 30 plus years ago when we first got together and we're listening to the Crossroads CDs and we're getting into the Yardbirds that one day we're going to be interviewing a member of that band. I don't know if we would have believed you, but here we are. We're really excited about it. Can't wait to give you a listen to his new single, but also talk about all those great songs. Heart Full of Soul, For Your Love, Over Under, Sideways Down, Happening 10 Years Time Ago. I'm a man. They did a great I'm a man cover, you know. Mr. You're a Better Man Than I. Great, great rock songs from the original British Evasion. And, well, we're going to jump into it here with Jim. First, we got a little bit of business to take care of. As usual, we always mention we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Network of about 100 different music shows. Not all rock and roll. There's really something in there for everybody. You can follow them at Pantheon Pods on socials or go to PantheonPodcast.com to learn more about it. And we love our sponsor, Rare Vinyl. Guys, if you want some of those original Yardbird singles or records or some of the stuff that's come out recently, imports from around the world, rarevinyl.com has some of them. They keep them in great shape. They ship all around the world. Use the code UGLY. You can save 10% off your orders. But here's the thing. They've got a lot of everything at Rare Vinyl. They've got over a quarter million items in stock. They've been doing this for 40 years. So you could go find a real treasure, something you've been looking for for a long time, whether it's Yardbird's whether it's classical, I've seen some people get Taylor Swift albums on there. Whatever you're into, go to rarevinyl.com, use the code UGLY, save yourself 10%. Now back to Jim McCarty. Such a pleasure for us to talk with this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member, this legend from a legendary band like the Yardbirds. We want to talk about, you know, Illusion. We want to talk about some of the other stuff he does. And I think you'll find that his new single, Breath of the Wind, which we give you a little taste of here, is a beautiful song. He has a lovely voice. It's not rock and roll. It's it's more folk kind of thing with his guitar, but it's beautiful. And he collaborated with Hugh Syme, who is also a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, to make it a lovely song, which you can download on September 15th. So without further ado, let's talk to Jim McCarty of the Yardbirds here on The Wolf. So, look, we've talked before about how getting that Clapton Crossroads box set in high school was a real introduction to the Yardbirds for a lot of people our age, people of our generation, right? Because that comes out in 88, we're like 14, 15, 16 years old. We know who Eric Clapton is, we knew who Cream were, but all of a sudden we we get this like, oh wow, he was in this cool blues outfit, and then, oh wow, Jeff Beck replaced him, like, oh, oh wow, Jimmy Page replaced him? Holy mackerel, man, this is the supergroup of all supergroups. What was your kind of intro to the Yardbirds back in the day? I think that's what it had to be that. And I think maybe I'd heard the name before. Uh-huh. You know, like kind of it's it, somewhere around like, you know, it, it mentioned with the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. And there was this other band, the Yardbirds. And you're right. It had those three guys come out of it. But I think the uh, it had to be what was the big one for your love was on Crossroads. Right. <laughs> For your love. For your love. For your love. I'll give you everything and more, and that's for sure. 
Right. So yeah, they were a blues kind of band, right? Well, and I when Clapton and, was there, yes. Right, right. And then they decided to do For Your Love because it was a little poppier and maybe a little more psychedelic. And then Clapton's like, no, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a pure blues purist, right? You know, I I'm a blues pur- purist, so I'm I'm getting out of here. And we, of course, famously went on to uh, to the Blues Breakers with John Mayall and uh, John McVie, but he didn't want to leave until he had a replacement, and that replacement that he had in mind just happened to be a guy named Jeff Beck. Who took them to a different genre altogether, I guess. Yeah, and I kind of want to see what Jim's take on that is, because obviously they kind of started to go in a little more poppy, more psychedelic way when Clapton was in the band. Like, that was kind of a band decision. Or was that management? Or who, you know, what was that really right. all about? Because then, yeah, the the uh, the Jeff and the Jimmy years, they are a little bit more psychedelic. I mean, was Keith Ralph an important piece of that? And what role does Paul Samuel Smith play in this? Because he's part of the band, but then he kind of gets into management and producing. That doesn't happen all the time. And and the other thing we have to remember too is that you know you say well Eric Clapton, Beck, and then Page, but they weren't they were just kids. I mean it wasn't like uh, Jeff Beck came in and said you know I'm Jeff Beck and here's what we're gonna do. No, he was some greasy kid who worked right. on cars and could also <laughs> play the guitar. So yeah, you're right. Well, I don't think that he came in and said this is what's happening. So it'd be interesting to see how that the what the progression was. And then you know there were other factors in there. Your friend and mine, Mickey Most, comes into the picture again. Right. <laughs> so that's a whole that's a whole thing with you know him trying to direct the band and that not going well. And then the whole thing just kind of I think everybody just kind of got tired of it is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and well, I mean, look at their schedule, man. I mean, yeah, you know, it was Paige in the band a year? you know, or maybe 18 months or something like that. They did four different tours of the United States. <laughs> Not to mention tours of England and tours of Europe. And, you know, right. and, and did they go to Australia? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Did they go to Japan? I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, Jim could probably enlighten us on something. Like that. It probably made sense at the time. Like, well, we got to capitalize, right? So we're going to do tour and tour and tour and record and tour and tour and record. Crazy schedule for five or six years of their lives. Mm-hmm. Insane. They, they would never do that today. <laughs> Nobody would. Right. And and uh, uh, there was an interview he was talking about doing, Jim was talking about doing a tour, like Dick Clark, mm-hmm. um, something Dick Clark presented this deal. And he was like, yeah, these bands weren't even, didn't even go with the music that we had. It was terrible. It was put together poorly. So yeah, just that grueling, you know, go, 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 go. We also remember too, I mean, it's kind of a pain to get around in the United States in 2023. In 1965, you were on a bus I guess on a bus doing yeah. 48 miles an hour or whatever it could do back <laughs> then. And <laughs> trying to navigate going through the whole United States of America must have been at, at first probably really exciting. And then, yes, a huge drag after that. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, it must be exciting, you know, especially after, you know, you grow up in kind of war torn UK to be able mm-hmm. to come to America where everything's in technicolor and you get to go to California where everything's fantabulous and there's girls and all that kind of stuff. But what was it really like? Cause I mean, the U S was very divided back in the sixties. I mean, kind of not unlike it is today, to be yeah. honest with you. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, I'm sure they did great up North and how did they do in the South? You know, because mm-hmm. they like blues music, but I mean, 
did they have to play segregated venues? Did they stay away from them all together? I don't know. Yeah. Although as a as a kid, I mean, I'm guessing he's probably the same age. So, you know, in that early 20s to be able to come here to this place where all of your heroes came from. I mean, these mm-hmm. guys grew up on, you know, Gene Vincent and Buddy Holly. And, you know, I'm sure I didn't hear Elvis thrown around, but I'm, you know, that that probably was an influence somewhere. And the, you know, the blues guys and to, yeah. Yeah, to be able to come here and play in front of an American audience. And, you know, I think they were received better here than they were in the UK. And that happens sometimes. And that's yeah. a big part of our show, right? Right. I mean, people who make it on one side of the Atlantic and maybe they don't on the other, even though it might be their hometown on the other, they just seem to do better uh, in the United States for whatever reason. I was going to say, it, it, it seems to me like the more that you get into this band, the more you think, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but the, the legacy is kind of the three guitar players, but there's really a lot more going on and they were a lot more influential than I think they get credit for because they didn't continue into the seventies like the stones did. And then into the eighties, they were kind of, they, they just had that about five year run with the three different guys before they broke up. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, there was a lot of talent in this band. I mean, Jim alone, you know, he's not quote unquote, just a drummer. He can write right. songs. He can sing. He plays other instruments, you know, Chris Drea, you know, he, he played guitar and then they switched him to bass, you know, and he did that very well. You know, he could sing a little bit too. You know, Keith Relf was a very, good harp player man mm. i mean you know probably better than jagger i would say certainly in the 60s he was mick picked it up pretty well pretty adeptly i do give him credit but i don't think he was as good as keith you know in their heyday yeah in the 60s there you know so yeah there's a lot of talent in the band but i mean the thing is in 1964 no one thought a band would last more than two years i mean they're they're like okay beatles when is this gonna be over you know everyone's like when is this gonna end because this is teenage (laughs) pop nonsense (laughs) and it just doesn't last that long and and so the fact that they lasted five or six years is actually kind of amazing but like looking back now it's like oh man it was only like five years you know Mm -hmm. because now we're like used to yeah bands could go on 50 even 60 years you know whereas back then like if it goes 18 months that's pretty impressive and then you can go get a real job (laughs) (laughs) and and he and jim did talk about that and i want to get into perhaps quickly what he was thinking of doing at one point in time because Mm -hmm. it wasn't rock and roll so i'll ask him well he was in art school like all the other reprobates right right? you know like well i don't really want to get a job i don't want to go to formal university why don't you go to art school yeah that sounds great you know (laughs) i can draw yeah i can draw stick figures and then in the meantime i'll play some instruments and hit on some girls who are also in art school you know it doesn't sound so bad but i mean like like that's what clapton would say he's like yeah man you know you you go to art school because you know beats getting a job and uh you know there's girls there you know so yeah what one thing that that i think we do need to get into is just yeah how how the transition even though these guys were still young i think they're bringing them on they were they were very different people all three of them so it'd be interesting to see how the progression bringing different people in changed the dynamic of the band and kind of changed how they saw the world and how they wrote songs yeah but first i want to get into that after first i want to get into his new track right of the wind Mm-hmm. which is i mean it's obviously it's a horrible thing that he went through in losing his love but he's been able to kind of turn that sadness that negative into something pretty beautiful and positive i mean that's that's the gift of being a musician the gift that we both wish that we had <laughs> 
<laughs> True. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, you have the. It, it really is a gift to have these feelings that you can express mm-hmm. in something other than just other than just words, like crudely put together words for us. So yeah, it, it, and I think it it does help people too that are maybe in the same situation. You can listen to this and you know feel kind of a bond with him. Yeah, 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 absolutely, you know, and that's that's a positive thing to put that out into the world, if you ask me. I mean, you know, you just say, well, this is my pain and I'll deal with it in my own way. She was special to me. It's not. It's got nothing to do with you. But then, you mm-hmm. know, you write a song like this. So you put out there, she's she's not 100% gone because yeah. of this. You right, know? right. There, there will, yeah, and there will always be, yeah, there will always be a part of her that is with him wherever he goes. And it, it, I've watched a couple of interviews with him, and he just he just does seem like a very positive person. Mm-hmm. He was a big part of the Yardbirds, not just the drummer, like you said, mm-hmm. but he always seems he always seems okay to talk about other people besides himself. Yeah. Hi, this is Steve Hackett, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. 
Hello, Jim. Hello. Hello. How are you this morning? Well, it's <laughs> afternoon for you, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm very very well, thank you. It's a nice bit of sunshine today. Well, good. Well, hi. Uh, my name's Mac, and this guy over here or down here, depending on where your screen is, that's Action Jackson from the East Coast of the United States. Oh, okay. Great. Thank you very much for being here. I think I recognize you. I've seen you before, haven't I? Well, we've never spoken together before, but you know, you've spoken to some of our friends. You've been on Vintage Rock Pod with our friend Paul Stevenson before, and, and we've certainly been on his show before. So, uh, okay, that okay, could be great. It. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome. Thank you so much for, for coming on. And of course, we want to talk about your new single here a little bit. But uh, are you living? Are you living in France now? Is that right? Yes, I'm, I'm down in the south of France, in Provence, about an hour up from the coast. Very nice. And how long have you lived uh, in France? Uh, I, I've been here, came here with my wife probably about 20 odd years ago. Wow, okay. Gotcha. But we, 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 we weren't in the same place. We moved... Uh, we moved from another place that was further inland. Well, and you mentioned you mentioned your wife Elizabeth, who I, I believe you call Lizzie, who is the inspiration for not only your most recent book but this beautiful song that you've written here, Jim. Breath of the Wind. It's 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 a credit to you, and I'm very sorry for your loss. Thank you. I, I give you a lot of credit that. You didn't just kind of take that loss on internally and say, look, I, I lost someone special to me and it's my pain and, and you don't need to know about it. You, you've made something very beautiful. This is a beautiful song that you're putting out into the world here. Yes. And, and kind of keep her spirit alive a little bit. Could you speak a little bit to that? Well, yes. You know, it was a great blow, of course. And I, I immediately thought, well, she has to be around somewhere. She can't just disappear. So I, I looked for various signs and certain signs happened somebody saw her one day you know walking with me as well sure <laughs> which she'd already she'd already passed on and which was interesting and then i i got into you know watching youtube videos on near-death experiences and mm -hmm. and and go and getting a bit into mediumship and I studied mediumship under Suzanne Giesman, who's an American medium, okay. who's very good. And I started to be able to, you know, communicate with with Lizzie myself. So, you know, using the steps that she showed me, Suzanne, which were quite simple in a way, I started to get signs from her and started to, you know, read th things in my mind and lots of things happening. And, and, and I actually had a session with Suzanne one time. And of course, Lizzie came into the session. <laughs> Uh, and wow. she told she told Suzanne, "Oh, uh, he's actually written me a song." Uh, and Suzanne said, "Oh yes, I well, I've heard you've written a song for Lizzie. I want to hear it, you know." So I, I had a rough, just a rough demo of it, and I sent it to her, and she, uh, Suzanne loved it, you know. Uh, and then uh, I sent it to a friend over in the states uh, who took took a long time actually before he. Uh, he managed to arrange it and he came back with a fantastic arrangement you know probably a year or so later and then i i spoke to demon and demon said oh you know we we'd, we'd like to release this so there you go here she comes on the breath of the wind she's sending me a deeper sound Riding along on the butterfly wing She's telling me she's still around <laughs> well, 
No, it's beautiful. I'm glad you did. Of course, that friend that you mentioned is Hugh Syme, who's probably best known for his cover artwork, but he's also, I wouldn't call him a label, Nate. We're part of something called the Pantheon Network of music shows of, of about a hundred different music related podcasts. And he's got one with a couple of his buddies uh, in Indiana now. He's a wonderful man, as I know. How, how did you come to know Hugh? And, you know, what, what, what was it said? Well, I think I'll get this to Hugh and see if he can help me. Well, I, I actually met him in Toronto because at one time my wife and I used to go regularly to, to Toronto and I used to record up there. Okay. And the last album I did, a solo album, was a few years ago, about five years ago. Um, Walking in the Wild Lands? It was produced by Terry Brown. And mm-hmm. of course, Terry, Terry uh, and Hugh know each other through the Rush connection. Of course. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, Hugh did a couple of arrangements for me then. And uh, oh. they were really, really great. So I, I, he's really got a wonderful feel for, for arranging, you know, for, for, for my songs. That's excellent. We hope to have him on to talk about that here soon. So it's interesting that you mentioned that you've been kind of the spiritualism and and working with the medium. Has it changed your view of your own death or the the way you would transition in the future? Yeah, completely. I've had a complete... I've really had a complete makeover because uh, I was always interested in this sort of thing, you know, the paranormal. But suddenly when you get faced with it and you're hit with it like this in, in your life, it, it made a complete, well, it was a, it was a complete new life for me. Uh, and uh, I, I'm sort of progressing more and more each day into that. And does it take away the fear or the, you know, I mean, I feel like everyone fears death on some level, you know, some way or, or another, but because yeah. has it kind of removed some of that for you? Uh, well, there's always the, there's always the thought, oh, I'm going to be with Lizzie because I know she's there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm convinced of that. So I, I guess the fear is sort of within us all, you know, that fight or flight or whatever. No, no, Nobody really want, wants to die, do they? But correct, it, it, it makes that thought much easier. I must say. Yeah, it was. That's an interesting concept you bring up because I think that's part of it. Is you know you feel like you're going to you're going to leave people behind, and if you if you have that connection, then it might be a little easier because you can have them with you even though they have moved on. Well, that's right. Yes, and that uh, I feel, um, oh, if I transition, you know, I really believe she's going to be there for me almost straight away. Oh, this is what I hope. This is what's, uh, what I'm told. So that makes the thought very nice. <laughs> yeah. But of course, you've got, you've got the added thing of all the pain or whatever you have to go through, you know, to, 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 to die. Well, let's transition to is it something more about your music here i mean i i want you to to educate our listeners you know we are very we're american obviously me and jackson i lived in london for a while that's why the name of the show is the ugly american werewolf in london actually lived about six blocks from abbey road studios and i mean a lot of people when i say i'm i'm going to speak with jim mccarty he's like oh yeah he was in the yardbirds i'm like well, yes, he was, but that was a long time ago. He's 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 been busy since then. Trust me, he's been, <laughs> you know, 
called Renaissance. When he's I, had his own bands over the years. And, and you know, like if you talk about a little bit about you know, like walking in the wild lands and some of the stuff you've been doing recently. Well, yes, I've, I've uh, yes, I've, I've progressed to different bands, and of course, Re- Renaissance was another another famous band that I was involved in, and um, Illusion just had a, a, a box set out. Uh, recently and then i've i've done solo projects on myself walking in the wildland as i said before walking in the wildland was recorded in toronto and uh, I, I i did another album called sitting on the top of time which was also recorded there uh, and but, but but i still play you know the albums still get to play now and then uh and we uh we're actually on the flower power cruise uh again next year which is uh uh going you know from i think we're on from puerto rico to miami oh. uh we're one of the bands on uh, it's in uh march i believe we, we did it this year as well it's always great fun. And I work with an American band now, so uh, they're all they're all great musicians. That's exciting. That's a that's a new uh, kind of a new concept. These the cruises where you you know you're on it, but you also get to kind of get a little bit uh, more time with the people there. It's not just a one concert and then you're out deal. Do you enjoy being on these cruises? Yes, I love it actually because there's a, a great energy with everybody. Everyone's very friendly, and um, you get to meet a lot of a, a lot of fans, and, and also you get to see uh, a lot of other groups. And I went to see Peter Asher uh, this time, who had a great okay. show. You know, Peter and Gordon, and he had a great show, and he went through his whole history with. Uh, Peter and Gordon and the Beatles and James Taylor, Linda Ronstadt. Wow. So it, 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 it's great because you get to see some other bands as well, and it's all very comfortable. It's almost <laughs> like you're on vacation too, a little bit. <laughs> in, in a way, and you don't have to travel. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to get back on the bus again and go somewhere else. <laughs> just that go is to nice. your cabin. <laughs> what would you tell us about Keith Relf? You know, being that we were born in like seventy two, seventy three, Keith was gone before. Well, we had a chance to really see any of his solo work. Of course, we've gotten into it now, and I've got a little, uh, yeah, little something here. You may know some of the songs oh, yes. on this album, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us about Keith in your own words. Well, Keith and I were, were very, were very close. We, we'd share hotel rooms together, and we'd do lots of uh, chatting. You know, half, half half the night we'd stay up chatting about weird and wonderful things, and he, he he was great fun, and um, he was quite an intense uh, guy, but a great performer. He really did. He really did go for it when he, when he sung, and uh, of course he had a big handicap. He only had one lung most of his career. And I didn't realize was, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a lung removed uh, early on. Wow. And he had uh, asthma and emphysema as well, and you know, playing the harmonica. <laughs> must have been difficult but he had a he had a good voice you know very distinctive voice and he had uh, good ideas at uh, creating songs and uh, we, we did some good songs together That 
that's for sure. And he was a hell of a harp player. I mean, he could blow that thing awfully well. I didn't realize he did it with one lung. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was a handicap, but he, he really overcame it. You know, he really expressed himself really well. And then you and uh, you were obviously you were in Renaissance with him. And his sister Jane, I didn't realize in doing research, I never realized that his sister was was with you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in the uh, she was in the Renaissance lineup, the Renaissance lineup, and also an illusion mm-hmm. with with me. And uh, after Keith had died, and uh, she, yeah, she was a very good singer too. Runs in the family, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And how about you as a singer, man? I mean, I, I know. Look, when you're in the '60s, you have the singer up front, and your behind the kit right so they don't have you singing much i don't know if you did any backup singing live or anything like that but you're a fine singer did you ever say hey guys how about let me step out there it's like no look keith's got this you know you, you can sing on something else <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did actually slip in a couple of leads i think happening 10 years time ago mm-hmm. um I sang along with Keith on the lead in, in that. And, of course, I'd sung, you know, For Your Love and Heart Full of Soul and the, the backups. But I, I, I sing a couple of songs now with the band. I did the Box of Frogs back where I started, which is, uh, which is a great song to sing. And my voice is really meant to be more of a folky type voice, you know, uh, more ethereal. So that's, that's what I prefer. But I, I love singing and I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. Well, you are a fine singer, and I, I, you know, I, I guess I didn't realize that, right? And you start to do research, like, oh, we're gonna have Jim on. I, well, I better get to know all his stuff pretty well. I'm like, well, he is a fine singer. Now you're not a rock, you know, stand up front, you know, like that kind of singer, but your voice is wonderful, and it's a good accompaniment to the kind of music you've been making lately. Yeah, yes, exactly. And uh, I always enjoyed Paul Samuel Smith, the bass player. We were at school together, and we used to sing all the Everly Brothers harmonies, you know, and uh, wow. so I like that all the harmony stuff and I make sure I get a lot of that in when I do my solo thing. Well, you mentioned the, the, the song box frogs. I guess I hadn't realized. I mean, I realized it later in the eighties that you kind of reformed the Yardbirds in the 80s, called it Box of Frogs, and the CDs are, you know, eh, they're a little bit of a collector's item when you when you go find them and pick them up. How did that come about, and what was the experience like? Well, I think the three of us, it was, that was Paul Samuel Smith and Chris Dreyer and myself, we were sort of seeing each other a lot. We were had ideas together still, and we were... We started to write some songs, okay. and uh, we we just very slowly came came back into it, and uh, you know built up the idea of doing the, doing another album and bringing in you know John Fiddler from Medicine Head and Jeff, of course, played on on a lot of tracks on the first album, and we called it Box of Frogs. Uh, you know, because it wasn't really the Arbors, so we wanted right. to. You know, we wanted to use other people playing for for uh, you know famous guests and Rory Gallagher and Steve Hackett and people like yes. that played along, and so it was, that, that was a good fun project. I, th- I, th- yeah, we- I think what I think what happened with that was it was a shame we never actually toured, uh, we never actually played live, which, which was a shame because it, we had a couple of good albums going there. Yeah. 
Absolutely. They're great. And for our listeners who haven't heard the Box of Frogs records, go check those out. It's it's good stuff. And, and we've had that discussion a couple of times on this show, you know, when, when bands kind of reform and they use the old, they use the original name, you know, where's the cutoff? It's not, it, there's a, are you trying to capitalize on the name or is this something new? So it is interesting that you chose, you know, we're not going to do the Yardbirds. We're going to do Box of Frogs. It's going to be a new thing. And then it can kind of take on its own life. It doesn't have to doesn't have to conform to anything old it can be brand new yeah that's it and it, and it sort of did that in a way it sort of had a new a new twist to it if you like it was different from the group but of course then you know you have to get that name well known you know it takes, takes a while so it was a bit slow getting it uh getting it listened to well we love steve hackett he's been on our show here before and, and and like you he i mean he took the the pain of of something horrible losing somebody with his song every day uh which is a beautiful song it's an amazing song so it's 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 a gift that jackson and i wish we possessed which is to take what you're feeling and turn it into music and something that can be shared so other people can only hear it but maybe they can relate to something in their own personal life to what you're going through we can't do that that's why we talk about it <laughs> on our show and we write about it and things like that i know but it's always a big source of inspiration you know if, if you've been through something like that uh and I, i'm probably going to do more songs about it all uh anyway because it's uh, uh it's such a change it's such a life-changing thing and, and as a writer that's the sort of thing that spurs you on you know to write more and more songs and, and that's a kind of a great thing too uh, the fact that you know you've had this career that's uh, that's been long and you've had a lot of hits but you still have that desire to write new music you still have that inspiration yeah it's still the, the spark is still there that's that's what's really impressive <laughs> well it's sort of you can't get away from it there's stuff yeah. going on in your head the whole time you know oh there's another idea there's another tune <laughs> just get it all together i, I so wanted keep to coming yeah keep them coming that's for sure i i wanted to ask you a little bit about what you think about cancel culture because i i just saw that our buddy mick wall was on bbc having to defend the song fat bottom girls by queen because apparently it's been removed from like a greatest hits compilation or you can't download it or something like that because some fat bottom girls find it offensive. And I'm like, well, this song has been out for 45 years, <laughs> uh, you know, and I start to think, well, what else could they cancel? You know, I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, what about Good Morning Little School Girl? Somebody could be like, oh, you can't <laughs> sing that song, you know? I'm like, but wait, but, but that's been around forever. And that's, and that even, that was a cover in the first place, wasn't it? So like, you can't cancel this stuff. You know, what in the world? But how do you feel about that kind of thing? I don't know. That's really funny to me. I mean, where do you, where do you actually draw the line? Exactly. Because you know, there must be hundreds, as you say. There must be hundreds of songs like that. The more you dig them out. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. That's, that's quite bizarre, isn't it? Squeeze, squeeze. If you let me, I can tease you, baby. 
it is to me, you know, and, and like Dean Martin's daughter likes to sing baby. It's cold outside. They're like, Oh, well you got to stop singing that because that's about a guy who won't let a girl go because he's trying to get with her. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? It's a funny <laughs> little fun song, you know. You can't cancel uh, everything. You know? <laughs> and that was that Beatles song was a little children, little children. Don't you tell on me or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> loads, loads of them. What's that about? It does I mean, does every? I mean, there's some fat bottom girls out there who love the song. They're like they're celebrated with it. Like, yeah, here I am. You know, come and get me. You know, it's I. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to see what a veteran's take on that might be. <laughs> well, hopefully that's not going to be a big thing. You know, which would be really silly. One would hope that uh, would be ridiculous. Yeah. Hi, this is Carl Palmer, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf. I mean, we, since we have you here, we've got to talk a little bit about the Yardbirds days. And I feel like I feel like the rest of the band, and by the rest of the band, I mean you and Paul and Chris and Keith, don't get your due. Because you had these three guitar player guys uh, who I guess were pretty good, and they went on to do a few things after the Yardbirds. But, uh, you know, the band was tight, and you went from being kind of a blues band to a psychedelic band and yes you changed guitar players but you didn't really make a whole lot of other changes that's because you had talent and and i don't feel like you guys get the credit that you deserve do you feel the same way or is it like well look those other guys bring us attention and and then we get our just rewards in other ways well yeah i think as time goes by the more people look into it like like you you know they find they find oh, oh they were all quite clever in this band you know they each of them were, were pretty good and of course the the, the thing about the Arbors, I tell everybody, is that we, we were a team. We, we mm-hmm. were all a team and we all needed each other. We were all part of the team to make that happen. And uh, n- n- nobody was any better than any, any of the others, really. Right. <laughs> you know, there might have been a team leader, but we, we worked as a team uh, and we worked off the chemistry. And uh, I think that shows a lot in those old songs, you know. <laughs> It's interesting too for us to, to who kind of came into it late in in the, the kind of the eighties and then into the nineties to to think that you know at one point in time Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page were just kids. I mean they they weren't you know who we knew them as later on in life. I mean you you describe Jeff Beck coming in as you know this guy with a greasy jacket and greasy hair and you know he was, he was you know 21 22 year old kid i mean had the talent but didn't have the the repertoire yet yes know. exactly yeah well they were and they were all learning how to do it you know that that that, that you could you could see mm-hmm. I mean, and clapton was was making sure he had the right clothes and he was <laughs> he was practicing in front of the mirror you know make sure he looked good <laughs> You know, it's all early days, and you know, but we all needed each other. We, we both we needed him, and he needed us. You know, really, to, to get somewhere. Yeah. So w- when you made the transition from Clapton to when Jeff Beck came in, was was it a conscious decision to move in a different direction, or was it you know kind of you took how he could play and went with that? 
Yeah, it just happened. Uh, we we didn't really know what he was like until he started to play, mm-hmm. and and he played in a different way altogether. Um, he was very uh, very very inspirational, and he he played the same things as Eric, but he played much more mm-hmm. a much wider scope, right. uh, and. And he had different tastes as well, you know, he, he wasn't stuck in the blues, you know, he liked Les Paul and, and he liked Barney Kessel and all that stuff as well, you know. It, it was different, but he, he, I think it was him that actually gave the Yardbirds that, what they called psychedelic sound, you know. Mm, yeah, he, I think he was the first one to use the fuzz box or, you know, the ones that I guess is credited for that and yeah, that kind of led to, you know, a whole different style of music. You know, would there have been the Pink Floyd you know, psychedelic yes. without you guys. Man. Yes. It was funny because Keith Ralph's dad, he used to be the road manager at one time. And we used to say, oh, what do you think of Jeff? You know, and he said, oh, well, he's just a box of tricks. <laughs> 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 you know, which were all his pedals and everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he loved all those different sounds. That's the thing about Jeff, and he, and he could play them. You know, he could get them into the into the songs. Mm. Well, he really could, yeah. And I I was fortunate enough to see him at uh, Royal Albert Hall last year, one of his last shows in uh, in London. Uh, did you guys stay in touch? I mean, I, did, what was the last time you had spoken with him before he he passed? Well, it was a while actually. I I lost. Yeah, I did lose touch with him for for a while. I, I went to his wedding whenever that was. Okay. That, I think that was a good ten years ago. But no, I, di- I didn't talk to him again more recently. Not for a while. But I, it was a great shock, of course, when he died. Oh, it was yes. just out completely out of the blue. And I know, well, if she had me back again, well, I would never make her sad. I got a A terrible loss for us all. But but in looking back now, I mean, of course, we were Jackson and I were talking a little bit about this before you came on. In 1963, nobody thought, well, the Rolling Stones will be doing this 60 years from now. You know, everyone's like, okay, in 18 months, no one's going to remember them. Or in two years, that's it. That's the tops. So a lot of people lament, oh, the Yardbirds. They really only had a five or six year run, but I'm like, but but look at what they did in that five <laughs> or six years. Look at all the tours they did. I mean, Jimmy was in the band, was it 18 months? And you did four tours of America during that time? You guys were working like crazy, stuff they wouldn't do today. Yeah, I know. I know. It doesn't happen now, does it? I think that was part of the thing that stopped us in the end. It was total burnout. You know, we'd been playing four or five years, uh, full full pelt. It was very, it was very tough, very tough at the end of that. I can imagine. But what was it like coming to America? I, I, I hear stories about like, growing up in war-torn Britain in the 50s and the early 60s, there's still rubble everywhere. It's like coming from Britain to America is like going from black and white to Technicolor in the 60s. Was it like that for you all? Yes, exactly, yes. As you say, we we, we played on the bomb sites, you know, uh, near, near where, where we lived, and it was all very foggy <laughs> and very dark, you know. <laughs> And then we'd see all these movies, John Wayne movies and Hollywood films and um, things like 77 Sunset Strip, you know, mm. uh, uh, 
uh, and J James Cagney films and all that, and that was all part of the American culture. And it was it was so exciting, you know, to suddenly come over there and wow, <laughs> everything expanded tenfold. It was exciting until you figured out how far it was from point A to point B here. Well, well exactly, exactly. <laughs> when he looked on the map to see where we were going to go before <laughs> we took off, you know, oh my God, thousands of miles. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And what, but there's one tour in particular I wanted to ask you about because obviously, you know, we're, we're a little younger. We, we didn't get to see you guys in the heyday, but there was a tour that you did. I think it was opening for the Stones, but also Ike and Tina yeah. on that tour as well. It, it sounded like an amazing time. I'm like, the Yardbirds opened for the Stones? The Yardbirds were awesome. They don't need to open for the Stones. But I, I know <laughs> they're they're a bigger name. I get it. They've had more hits or whatever. But but I'm like, but then with Ike and Tina tour, that must have been a heck of a time. Do you have any great memories of that? Yeah, yeah, that was, that was exciting. It wasn't a great deal of dates, but it was all around England. Mm -hmm. But a great lineup, you know, a re re really good lineup. And I remember one, as you say, the Albert with the Stones. I remember one one night we we played before the Stones, and, and we got loads and loads of encores. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Stones were about to go on, and of course they they had to wait for quite a long time because like, <laughs> everyone was shouting more and more. You know, we don't want to see the stuff. So it must have been quite tough for them, actually, uh, on that particular night. I remember that. That's cool. That's cool. Now, what about the transition? I mean, you guys kind of did a lot of singles, I feel like, in the early 60s. You weren't necessarily an album band, although you released some albums. You were more of a singles band. And then eventually, and obviously we have Roger the Engineer and, and some of those uh, you know great albums that have come out later. You would have to get something like, like this like a big collection to get all of your singles to get all the songs into one place because you didn't make that many albums was that a conscious thing or was that the record company decided not to do a lot of albums or why was that well it was basically a, a singles market okay. in those days mm -hmm. up to about probably up to 1969 or something like that you did your single and then you know three months time you did another one and uh, and that was the way it went and Albums didn't really sell so much until you know until Zeppelin came along and uh, you know Jethro Tull and all those album album orientated bands. Mm -hmm. And then so we ended up with those sort of compilations with right. with, with, with a mishmash of <laughs> singles and outtakes and <laughs> album tracks, you know, and even guitar players. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Well, I was going to say one of the things that I that I really caught me when I was going through the history was you guys got to record at the Sun Studios with uh, Sam Phillips. Yeah, that must have been a huge, you know, growing up with the American, you know, R&B and rock and roll to, to get to meet him and record there must have been something special. Well, yes, that was that was 
we had to wait as well. I remember getting there very early, something like six or seven o'clock in the evening, and uh, he was on a fishing trip, and he didn't get back until about ten or eleven. You know, but we waited for him, and he he came in, and he was a real character. And uh, wow, this guy worked with Elvis and Marilyn Wolf and <laughs> Johnny, Jerry Lee Lewis and everyone, uh, and that was good. That was that was great. He, he said. He said, oh, yes, it's a pretty good band, he said, but uh, I don't know about the singer, because, <laughs> because waiting, you know, wait, waiting for him to come, we'd all been in the pub, you know, the bar around the corner, and <laughs> Keith was a little bit drunk by that time, and uh, of course, he, you know, it came out in his, in his vocals, so Sam had a bit of a go at him. Oh, you'll have to get a new singer. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? I'll tell you, the first time I think I ever saw you all at least as the yardbirds was in the 80s late night on tv there was a movie called blow up oh yes yeah which featured you and the the animals and i think they just piped it they just kind of clipped in the beatles at some point i don't think the beatles did anything special for the movie they just said well if you're going to do this you got to have the beatles in there somewhere so they just kind of popped them in there it, them being a huge draw obviously but i felt like you and like the animals and seeing eric burden like walk around the sound stage singing house of the rising sun with his guys behind him i just thought it was funny but but to see you guys looked cool in it i'm like what was that experience like you're gonna be in a movie was that just unheard of you're like psyched about it It was like no this is just another thing we've got to do because we've got eight gigs this week and this is just one of them <laughs> well that was what happened you know you didn't know what you were doing you might be doing a, a gig or a recording or might be doing a, a, a photo shoot you know or oh, oh we're, doing, we're doing a movie now um <laughs> So we never knew, but we 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 took it all as it came, you know. And it was all um, it, it was all promo for the band. Yeah. And a lot a lot of those a lot of those films were good, were good fun, but uh, blow up particularly was quite was quite strange because we ended up spending about five days doing a doing about five minutes of a shot of the film, you know, which was quite odd. Yes, must have been. We just we really appreciate you being on with us here this this morning for us this afternoon for you and and uh want to wish you all the best with the new single why don't you tell our listeners where they can find your single which i believe is out september 15th and uh, you mentioned the cruise next year but tell them what you're up to where they can see you well yes i'm doing the cruise next year the, the uh, flower park cruise again which we'd already done this year but next year again which is great i think we're on from puerto rico to miami on, on that one and you can download uh my single is just download only. The first time I've had a, a download single, so I guess it's the usual, you know, Spotify, Deezer, all the all the download uh, channels, whatever it is. So, so look for that. Uh, look for that on on there. Probably Spotify. Very good. And you can go to jimmccarty.com to learn more about Jim. Uh, his career uh, in the past present and future there and we hope we do get more great releases from you over time jim thank you so much for being on jackson you have any final questions for mr jim mccarty yeah only just thank you so much for being with us it was a great conversation and, and the best of luck to you yeah thank you very much i enjoyed it <laughs> thank you okay cheers cheers
What a nice man. And just so genial and happy to talk, you know? You know, you know, you know, we've come up, we, we revisit this time and time again, why we are so big fans of the the guys from the UK. Just a, just an absolute delight. Somebody who is a, a titan of the, you know, rock and roll era. You know, the mm-hmm. Yardbirds are so big, so many, influence so many people and just a down to earth guy. Just, you know, happy to talk about anything, happy to talk about anybody in the band, didn't mm-hmm. want to make it all about him. Yeah. Fantastic. We didn't get into Mickey most, but maybe that was a good thing. <laughs> well, that yeah, that it, it, it in in the the reading that I did, it it sounded like that was just a bad fit and uh-huh. yeah, I'd rather not talk to somebody about bad times unless they bring it up and want to. Yeah get into it no thanks that's right i i guess i could have asked him about peter grant because like he did manage the yardbirds at the very end there you know mm-hmm. and like this yardbirds 68 live album that jimmy put out i want to say it was about five years ago that he put that out mm-hmm. uh, how does he feel about that you know but he kind of touched on that it's like you know there, there's a lot of compilations that have come out like they, they come out all the time yeah because that's just the kind of way it is i mean the Beatles were making albums in the early to mid sixties. The stones were making albums. Yes. That single's important, but you know, the, and the who were kind of more like them is they did a lot of singles and they did fewer albums, but I was just kind of curious about that. Like if you can get a collection of 10 or 12 great songs, why not put out an album? Uh, but he's right. right. I mean, that's it. Singles drove everything. Yeah. And, and I think it, what you were talking about before there was going to be, they thought there was going to be an endless supply of these, you know, as soon as, as soon as band a got to be a little stale, they just bring in somebody, the next person to come along. Right. There wasn't that thought of having, you know, decades long careers. I mean, there really wasn't. I mean, it, no one thought about it. I mean, a lot of them would say, yeah, I'll do this for a few years, a couple of years, and then I'll, you know, have to go get a real job. I mean, there's some who had the vision. I don't, I don't think Eric Clapton ever wanted a real job. I think as soon as he figured out how to play the guitar, he's like, this is it. I got to figure out how to do this forever. Mm. But, it, but not everyone did. Yeah. And he was talking about Jeff Beck and his, you know, box of toys that he brought with him. <laughs> and it. Maybe not something to get into at this point in time, but just with hit with Jim, but just thinking about how like somebody like an Eric Clapton, when you, especially now when you think about him, yeah, he plays the guitar, but he also sings, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and Beck doesn't do that. So for him, I think the guitar was much more of a voice than something to go along with the voice. Same with Jimmy. Yeah. 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 yeah, Correct. With the, with the, you know, the bow and the, you know, the, Mm What he did, yeah, it was kind of the same thing. You know, that that was going to be that they knew that was their that was their instrument. They weren't also going to do anything else. Yeah, and I think Clapton just became a singer out of necessity. Really, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he, he did some singing in Cream, and then it's like, okay, well now I'm out of Cream. Now I'm in Blind Faith. We got Steve. I don't need to sing. Then you're out of Blind Faith. It's like, okay, I'm gonna go solo. I'll be Eric Clapton. Well, someone's got to be singing, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting center stage. So, you know, but it's, it's so cool that the Jim is such a nice singer. It's, he's got a very nice, like he says, it's a folk voice, right? You, you're not going to have him out screaming in front of, you know, huge row of speakers like a Mick Jagger or something like that. But for the stuff that he plays on acoustic walking in the wild land, mm-hmm. it's a great record. And this new one, breath of the wind is a, is a lovely song and he sings it very well. And I've got to ask Hugh a little bit about how he decided to produce that because he as jim said he took a little while to do it but the end result was tre magnifique yeah it would be interesting to hear the other side of that story that from the production side absolutely and especially from somebody who when we read that he's an art he's a graphic artist 
No, he can also produce and do other things yes, as well. He, he has talent beyond what you, mm-hmm. the box mm-hmm. that you want to put him in, the box of frogs you want to put him <laughs> in. <laughs> and that was an interesting concept too, because we talked about like, you know, should Black Sabbath have come back as something else and, you know, Van Halen changed their name. You've got that built-in legacy that you can go off of, but you also want to do something new. So interesting that they decided to do Box of Frogs and not just say Yardbirds or mm-hmm. New Yardbirds or whatever it was to capitalize. Because then you don't you don't you don't have any of that baggage with you. You can do whatever you want. And I'm sure there are also legal reasons too. Like I, I think probably Jimmy owned the name and if Peter Grant was still alive then which I believe he was, he wouldn't have relinquished that easy, you know? So it's like, all right, look, we don't need the name. We know what we want to go do. Let's just go do it, you know? Ah, such a gentleman, Jim McCarty of the Yardbirds, and a real dream come true for me and Jackson. I mean, if you had told us when we met as teenagers more than 30 years ago in college that one day we'd be interviewing a member of the Yardbirds on our own, what we only know it as a radio show, wouldn't have known what a podcast was back then, but we'd have been over the moon. We'd have freaked out. We probably would have stopped with all the economics courses and just dropped that and started doing a radio show at the college. And maybe we should have. But the Yardbirds were a huge, huge, huge influence on me, especially after getting that Eric Clapton Crossroads box set, which we talk about at length. What was that? Episodes 35 and 36, something like that. Huge influence on me. Of course, then I pushed it on Jackson and he got it. He's like, okay, this is the blues. This is kind of where it all came from. Plus, of course, the classic Eric Clapton, then Jeff Beck, then Jimmy Page lineup. But that's not to minimize the talent from Paul Samuel Smith, Chris Drea, the late Keith Ralph, and of course, Jim McCarty. We thank him so much for being on. And you need to go out there and download and purchase his new single, Breath of the Wind. Beautiful song about his late wife, Lizzie. And the real Yardbird fan can catch him on the Flower Powered Cruise this spring. Go to JimMcCarty.com to learn about everything that Jim's been up to, his time in the Yardbirds, his time in Renaissance, his own band, where he's going to be. Super nice man, gentleman, member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we thank you, Jim, for coming on the show. And as usual, folks, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? Hey, you let us know. Email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. But you can get us on social media. It's at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72 on Twitter. That's probably the best. But we're also on the new threads. We're also on Instagram under different handles. We got a YouTube page. Maybe we're on Facebook, but you let us know how the Yardbirds have infected your rock and roll fandom, your rock and roll appreciation over the decades. Make sure you download and subscribe to get the show every week. And if you're thinking about it, guys, hey, give us a positive review. Thanks to positive reviews and growing the show to find more rock and roll fans like you. We get to have people like Jim McCarty on the show. So if you're a listener, we appreciate you. We appreciate you helping us grow our show. Do us a favor. Give us a positive review and help us get even better. Thank you to Pantheon Podcast, of which we are a proud member. And be sure you run out to rarevinyl.com, guys. Use the code UGLY. Save yourself 10%. They've got a lot of Yardbird stuff, but they've got a lot of everything. Whatever you need, whatever you're looking for, it's rarevinyl.com. Use code UGLY. Save 10%. Going to be hard to top that for next week. But we don't get Rock and Roll Hall of Fame members on every single week of the show. I'm sorry to say we're just not quite there yet. But we're doing our best, and we've still got a lot of fun stuff coming up for this fall. So be sure you download and subscribe, and to all you rockers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 